Hey, hey, listeners. Thanks for coming back for part two of episode 73 with my guest, Diana Howells. And the topic is, was, whatever you want to say, is next level virtual training. So what is that? Well, that's going to talk about and you're going to learn how to become a better and more effective virtual online trainer. So this is a continuation, as I said, of part one. It's not necessary to listen to part one first, but it is helpful. Now in part two, she's going to continue and talk about blended learning or blended teaching. So without further ado, let's get right into it. What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Talk. But there's this idea of blended learning solutions too, which the research shows is so even more effective. And that's where you kind of pair together the live classes with sort of asynchronous work, meaning on your own time. So for example, let's say that we have a, a, a virtual training program on leadership development. And before they go to that leadership development live time, there are videos that they need to watch. There are articles they need to write about. There is an action plan that they need to identify. And then maybe they go to some live training, right? And then maybe they take a, a behavioral assessment on their own behavioral styles. And then maybe they um, have an assignment that they have to do. And then they come back to another synchronous time. So it's that blended together, blending together of the live and the on-demand time that that really um, helps learning and is a, a better experience. So I really try to do that with almost all of my programs because the research is, is very, the evidence-based research is, is very clear. Yeah, it, and it certainly helps. Like I said, you, um, you're you able to do certain portions of it on your own time. Yeah, and yeah. when you break it up like that, it, it just gives you a breather. It's like taking a vacation. Sometimes we need yes. to get away from work uh, yes. just to get a breather. This is the same thing. You know, being mm -hmm. in a classroom for eight hours, I may pick up two hours worth of, you know, the, the, <laughs> the lesson or the session. And that might be the, the middle two hours because I was so tired at the beginning, something like yeah. that. But you're right. Just breaking it up in a blended situation like this is, is can I use the word foolproof? <laughs> yeah, and, and effective for learning too. So there's there's this phrase about spaced repetition that comes out of cognitive psychology. So it's almost like think back, everyone, even our listeners can think back to when you were studying for an exam. If you studied for the exam the night before, you probably tried to memorize as much as you could, regurgitate it on the test the next day, and then it was probably gone. You just forgot, right? <laughs> But if you, let's say a month ahead of time, I know maybe it's not as realistic for some, but if you had uh, an instructor who was really, really pushing process, maybe let's use a writing, a writing essay where they said, okay, I want to see your outline this Monday. And then the next Monday, I want to see your rough draft. And then the next Monday, I want to see your, your edited work. And then the next Monday, I want to see your revisions. I mean, that's an example of spreading over time. 
if you did that with a test, for example, right? So you're exposed to it and then you have a break from it as you said, Chuck, and then you're exposed to it and then you have a break from it. It's kind of around, around about the time when you just start to forget that material you're studying is when you wanna boost your memory and look at it again. And that spaced repetition is really how we learn best. And I know from my own experience, when I look at myself as a student or a studying, uh, that has been my experience. I don't know, Chuck, have you, have you played around with that too? Or, or I have that? not. And in fact, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to use that in some of my training because, okay. you know, so thank you very much for that free tip. Uh, sure. <laughs> because of the fact that, Anytime. Uh, that I, I work with like the teachers, uh, I have to go, yeah. Uh, and 98% of the time. And oftentimes they will just have one chance or one opportunity. And I don't like doing it that way. And I try mm -hmm. to get them to break it down. Yeah. But just the way you explained it just now uh, for the retention, I am mm -hmm. going to do even a better job of demanding that through the administration, uh, through the administrators and the school board to say, look, you know, it's, yeah, I can throw it at everything out at all the teachers in two hours and they're going to go home and they're going to forget or we could break this up in two or three sessions and they're going to remember 80% of what I taught them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I like to think about it as um, sort of pioneering a trail in the woods. So I don't know if you're a big hiker, Chuck. Are you a hiker? I love kayaking and hiking. Okay. Oh, you're a kayaker. Cool. Yeah. So fun. So I like hiking too. And so when you think about those neural, um, you know, your neural network in your brain, when you are introducing a new concept or framework or a schema or some kind of paradigm, right into your brain, brand new, we don't have sort of a neural network planned out yet. It's sort of like hiking through the woods when there's no path. And so let's say you get exposed to it and then we have that space repetition so you get a break and then you're about to forget it and then you review it again now we're kind of putting down more tread on that trail and kind of putting down more tread on that neural network right in your brain and then you take time away from it and then you come back to it review it again and that path just gets more and more solidified right and so that's how we learn and the reason that we can recall and remember then longer is because right we've solidified that path we've sort of trailblazed um, this this path and so i can retrieve easier and then apply and and that's learning all of your analogies i love they're great <laughs> and they're and uh, using analogies too are fantastic because i can relate to them so yeah. that um, that that's it's another excellent tool of of communicating with somebody is making things relatable absolutely and metaphors are great too right so metaphors mm -hmm. and analogies so helpful because we we understand what that means and then we could say, oh, there's the aha. Oh, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. So I always encourage educators and instructors to, to use, it's the right metaphor though, right? It has to be the yeah. right analogy and the right metaphor to really make the match. But if it is well-suited, uh, it, do, it does help immensely. Yeah. Yeah, it, I can't talk to a group of, uh, well, I'll just say it can't be the scientists talking and talking about how the solar system works and this and that and throw that in there as an analogy and I'll have lost everybody. They'll be thinking about that confused. Going, huh? So you're right. We got to <laughs> make right, it pertinent. Yeah, the right, the right metaphor, the right analogy. Yeah, the right yeah. metaphor, the right mm -hmm. analogy. Sure yes. Fits. 
So again, I just want to throw out there the everywhere that people could go so they could find you and find your services. Uh, again, Diana House, and it's H O W L E S. So that's correct. And you yes. can be found on LinkedIn, and then also your website. I'm sorry, did you say it's Diana House at Associates or just HowellsAssociates.com? Yeah, so our website is just our last name, so HowellsAssociates.com. And uh, they can certainly uh, find our services there. And uh, we also have some resources and, and books. And we have a sort of a, a little job aid there, too. If they want to click like the light bulb on the bottom, there's, there's a little... Um, job aid for them as well so great and it's it's not just for individuals you folks also train companies businesses right you mm -hmm. you've got a a good list of businesses companies that you've uh, organizations that you have helped by doing these virtual trainings so yeah yeah we we, we love working with different clients have worked with a, a large variety a, a wide you know diverse group of organizations. And so depending on whether you are a virtual trainer yourself and you just are interested in coaching or consulting, or you want to take a course or a program to get better. And, and, uh, we also help coach on virtual presentations because sometimes it's very different, right? When you have the screen in front of you and how do you do that effectively? And, uh, that's all about connection with people. So connecting through <laughs> the bandwidth, um, it's a sort of a different, different way to go. It, it, it is, it, it is a little bit different. Um, but like you said, it can be every bit as effective, if not even more so in certain situations and depends on the topic. So one thing I want to ask you is because I know like what I'm doing right now from time to time is I'm talking really fast. And is that a bad thing? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a fast talker too. So I'm right there with you. I just, I, I think that fast talkers think fast has been my experience, or at least when coaching people and talking to people. So there are many of us out there, uh, but it's all communication is all about two way right? Sending and receiving. And if the receiver misses what you said because it was too fast or too slurred or too blurred, then communication isn't working, right? So rate does make a difference. And actually the best tip I have for how to slow down if you are a fast talker is to actually speak in phrases instead of sentences. So I'm actually doing that now, if you notice. So instead of saying, the best way to slow down when you are speaking is to speak in phrases, I said that all as one big sentence and you can go room right through it mm -hmm. real fast. But if you pause when you talk about different phrases and you just need to make sure that it's not robotic, that is the best way to slow down. Because if you tell yourself, I'm going to slow down, it'll work for a while, but inevitably you will speed up again because it's been conditioned as a pattern in you and in me and in our listeners, if you are sort of dubbed as a fast talker. But that's the best way to really slow down your, your rate of speech. Yes, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, Have you tried that? Have you done that one? Yeah. So I know a lot of people have forgotten about um, the dictation software, I think Dragon and oh, a couple yeah. of other things. So I oftentimes will use that and say, remember how you're giving a command or you're telling your GPS to go someplace or you're doing voice 
dictation. You don't talk there really fast you because you notice that it can't keep up or it misspells yeah. or does something. Right? But you don't want to be robotic, like you said. So I say, mm. I don't, I haven't ever said break it up into phrases. I just tell them to break it down. And mm -hmm. did just like what you said, as far as giving an example, but I'm going to throw, break it into phrases. I'm going to use that. <laughs> well, you know, when I, sometimes when I will say something to Alexa and I'll say it so fast that she doesn't hear her name. So I've learned to say Alexa, like I pause and then I deliver whatever it is I'm asking for. So same thing, kind of similar to what you were just saying there, Chuck. Mm -hmm. And communication like this virtually is not just about the visual. Like I said, it's also an auditory thing. It's mm -hmm. So we do need to speak clearly. Uh, we do need to uh, make sure that we're not talking too fast. So, mm -hmm. uh, but we also don't want to talk robotic and make sure that people understand. That doesn't work either. Um, you lose people just as quickly if you do that. You lose people immediately. And I have done tests, and maybe you have done this too, but when I've been coaching and, and working with other virtual instructors where sometimes they'll actually script out what they say. And we, you know, it's really rare. It's a rare skill to be able to read something and sound like you're not reading. Very few people can do that. And as soon as somebody sounds like they're reading, everybody checks out almost immediately. If you stop and ask people or poll them, they'll say, I disengaged right away. So we learn language conversationally from those who raised us, our parents, our guardians, and we're attuned to conversational speech. So we just immediately check out. So I say when virtual instructors want to have some notes, um, it's best to have an outline or bullets to remind them of what to say, but to choose the words that you speak at the time that you speak them, sort of that extemporaneous, so that it comes across conversational because then as the listeners are, are listening to us right now, hopefully, because we're having a conversation here, uh, same thing with the learners, that they, they will be more engaged naturally. It's just a natural thing that happens. Yeah, uh, going back to just the dictation and stuff like that, what I have said in the past is, Imagine going to a foreign country and you're with a friend and that person meets or you meet somebody that's a foreign national or nationalities other than mm -hmm. English or is English mm -hmm. second language. Don't they roll their eyes sometimes when you say, hi, my name yeah. is, <laughs> and you, you know, they're going, just kind of talk to me normal. It's almost the same thing. Yeah. Just speak normally mm -hmm. and things will be fine. Um, yeah. You know, I had the opposite experience. So I was in Europe and I was just sort of or ordering a beverage and I was using the language in the country. And uh, obviously my accent must have given me away, but I tried to speak my full phrase in that language. And then they responded back to me the way that you just did. So obviously they could tell that I was learning the language. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I tried. <laughs> yeah, that's a different situation, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I love going to Montreal though. I don't know if you've been to Montreal because it's sort of like bilingual there. Like somebody will speak French and English in one sentence. You know, they'll switch, they'll start in French and then they'll switch to English and it's French and English together wherever you go in Montreal. So super fun. I don't know if you speak French, but uh, no, we in Polyvoo Francais, no. <laughs> I may get a little bit of German, German Mexican, yeah. and everything all mixed in there because I don't know. Yeah. I don't know phrases. <laughs> ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch auch. Uh, see, German, I, don't know. I, I speak a little German also. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm very impressed. 
No, I don't. I know certain little words only because uh, a friend that was Swiss lived on the border of Germany, Switzerland, and they had their dialect as Swissadutsch. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I I picked up on stuff before, but right now, I'm I'm sad to say one language right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'm sure our listeners have multiple languages too. You know, the world is like, um, it's a global, it's a global village now as uh, Marshall McLuhan once predicted, because we're so connected with technology. So I just see that happening more and more, right? Where we will, uh, we will use more languages and you'll, you're seeing that actually now in the virtual platform technologies, the, the automatic um, language translations. Have you seen that in the tools? We're going to see even more of that. So really, really, truly becoming a global village together as one planet. All the more important uh, and reason to really learn how to use and how to engage and how to immerse your audience into uh, your virtual sessions. Because like you said, it's it's brought the world in closer to us. It's made it smaller. It's Mm -hmm. not, like we said earlier, I don't have to fly to France. Mm -hmm. I I can sit right here and I can conduct my, my sessions and like I said, some of these conferencing platforms and uh, the softwares that will go along with it will automatically translate. There's that translation in there. So that is nice. And mm-hmm. I think even for folks who are not doing a live virtual session, it's also important to learn how to communicate through your conduit because you're creating content. And we've often heard that content is king. And it's becoming more so, I think, in this situation where we have the generation of the YouTubers and all these TikToks. It's all about video. And mm, you know that yeah. people sit down and watch this stuff. So, Yeah. And, you know, I would say in, we certainly have seen that, right, with a lot of content. I would say in our environment of learning and teaching and educating that it's also, there is content, but we were trying to change the focus on learner-centered and task-centered too, because you have to, leave the training, leave the learning, be able to do something, right? Improve your workplace performance in something or as a student to be able to do a skill or have better knowledge. So that task-centered and learner-centered and kind of have that focus more than just the content. I think when we try to design for content, we're, we're missing designing for like a holistic experience, as I mentioned before. So kind of just a, a different way to, to kind of frame that is to think about, um, in my book, I talk about this too, learning experience design, where this approach has been heavily influenced by design thinking, the field of design thinking, for example, and user experience design, and also evidence-based practice. Um, but really looking at, instead of what content can I push or shove out to this Mm -hmm. group of individuals instead designing something how can i emotionally engage them how can i socially engage them how can i cognitively uh, challenge and involve them and how can i behaviorally design the training so that they are practicing and learning how to do something so kind of a shift to experience instead of content if that makes sense it does and and i'm going to say thank you for bringing me back on track (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I started to get off track of of what we're here to really talk about, and that's about you and as far as what you can do for virtual trainers and what it does for 
the audience, the, the folks that are there to learn something. Is there another tip that you can give to virtual trainers, um, educators, on how to engage their audience? Is there, is there something simple, something that you can let us know about? Yeah, you know, part of it too, I think some of the simple part of it is setting expectations. So even in your pre-communications before uh, that class day or training day that you set up the expectation, I expect you to be uh, actively involved and I expect you to be, be camera ready for certain parts. They certainly don't have to be on camera all the time, nor do you as the instructor, as I mentioned, those purposeful connection moments is where we want to capitalize on being on camera. But I think the other thing too, there's little things, little tricks that I've done and just observed how they, they worked well. For example, using people's names. So, you know, we have been conditioned to respond to our name for years and years and years and years. So it's kind of another focusing technique, I say. Uh, so we have, you know, Roberta listening today and Venka, and we have Hugh as one of our listeners. Like if that's your name, folks, if they're listening, they probably just sat up in their chair a little, a little taller. And so that's a way to sort of get people involved. And then when people do contribute, so they are posting a chat comment, they are raising their virtual hand and they're sharing out loud, really listening to what they're saying and then affirming it in a authentic, genuine way. So for example, Chuck, if you had a student who said, well, I think one of the ways that we can really improve XYZ is to do blah, blah, blah. And you can say, well, that's a really interesting point, Tom. Can you tell us more about that? Is that something you've tried? So, you know, there's a follow-up question. There's affirmation there. Like, that's a really interesting point, Tom. Can you tell us more? So those kinds of things. Now, what is the likelihood Tom is going to speak again? It's probably pretty likely because he was just rewarded for his contribution. So, even doing that, and that's again, kind of a simple thing. You have to be a really good listener, a good communicator, and then you are genuinely affirming their contributions. They're going to speak more and more and more, you know, and be more involved throughout, throughout the program. And I'm going to add to that where that crosses all boundaries of age and everything. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you give affirmation, acknowledge, and like I said, they, they perk up. Uh, one of the things that I like to do at the beginning of the sessions when I'm doing a virtual training or teaching yeah. is I like to tell everybody, like you said, open up your chat box, put down where you're from because yeah. then that makes them put it in. And then I do the, Hey, Diana's from, you know, wherever it is. Hey, Joe's oh, from yeah. California. Uh, I did that just the other day. And it was a funny thing. One guy put down Alabama, California. <laughs> and I, and I, Still deciding I, 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 apparently. I, I, I had that. I did this and I said, no, are you sure? And he goes, oops, I made a mistake. I'm from California. Oh, but he wants to be from Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I didn't ask him on that. Uh, we got a few people who actually chimed in with the, you know, smiley face and ha ha's. So it, it kind of broke the ice for everybody. And yeah. they felt it was okay to ask questions. And they said, feel free to chat amongst yourselves. And let's just stay engaged. And yeah. it just worked out. Absolutely. That, that is my favorite one. And I have to tell you, Chuck, like years ago, like even when we were using web conferencing technologies for training, 
like back in the early 2000s, we would have to prompt people for that. Like we'd have to say, okay, everybody, tell us where you're connecting from. So they wouldn't do it by themselves. And then they'd be like, oh, okay. And they would put in city, you know, city, state, province, territory, country. But now because of the pandemic, people have been acclimated to this way of being together in space. It seems like when you log on, sometimes they just start doing that automatically. Hello from sunny LA, California. Like they have just learned to do it naturally, which is amazing to me, but you're right. It's a great connection opportunity, right? Somebody says, Hey, I'm from Australia too, or I just visited, you know, Germany last week or, um, Oh, I used to live in Florida. So it's, it's a great way to connect. And there are so many different fun things you can do. I like to do as a warm up when I'm just kind of giving a, a, brief platform tour because most people are familiar with the platforms now, but I still, I never assume. So I'll just do it really briefly. But when I say, Hey, there's chat and here's what it's for. Let's practice it. Now I'll say, let me know what kind of shoes you're wearing today or what you're not wearing today. Like, and they'll, they'll type in socks and shoes and usually barefoot or sandals or whatever it is. It's easy. Right. Mm -hmm. But I asked them to do that actually because I want them to get warmed up using the tool, which your exercise does too, right? Because once they've said where they're from, or once they've said I'm barefoot or I have sandals, they're more likely to chat again because they've done it successfully. So my intent or strategy is very strategic in trying to get them to be more participatory and, and act, you know, active in the program. Yeah, I kind of follow along what you're saying there. Um, I because there's situations or times that I've come across where I may ask a question and it's silent, and then I'll yeah. remember back to who chimed in earlier, and I'll call out their name. Oh, I'll say, Scott, what do you think? Good and, idea. You know, and nine times out of ten, I will get an answer, and then it gives that green light for somebody else to say. Yeah, me too, or whatever it might be for the answer. Yeah. Or, so. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. And what I always like to do is it's, you know, it's really warming people up. So if you'll notice when people start to talk before the program has even started, those folks that start to talk, hey, how are you doing? They've already spoke once. They are more likely to speak first, as you observe there, Chuck, when you ask a question. It's almost like we have to kind of get warmed up and field test it. And then once we've spoken, you know, we're more likely to do it, do it again. So any way that we can do that in easy ways, as you mentioned, uh, where are you from? Or, um, you know, what shoes are you wearing or all sorts of things. And then uh, we're more like likely to see those responses. But there is something really interesting about, you know, you ask a question and let's say you do get crickets. So it's just silent, right? Mm. There's this principle called the wait time principle that is from way, way, way back. But it's this idea that we tend to not wait as long as we should, because if we wait, instead of waiting two seconds and then just going on because nobody said anything, if we give it that extra like six seconds of pause, somebody will usually step forward and speak. So I tried to do that and so far it's almost always worked. So it's a little uncomfortable. It's been like three, four, five, six, somebody will speak because they all feel it. And then after that, they'll speak because that one person, you know, is the first one. Or like you said, as long as you can prompt them, I love that you call on somebody that already was vocal earlier, you know, that works too. You're right about the, uh, 
given an additional six seconds or whatever it might be because they all all of a sudden feel uncomfortable and somebody wants somebody somebody wants will. to break the ice because oh, like, yeah. this is weird i have oh, to yeah. say something but <laughs> they just need that that extra couple seconds to really just jump into doing it so exactly and you know I, I, ins instructor feels it too like you feel like you want to jump in and end the awkwardness so to help yourself if you want to reach for a drink bite your tongue you know just don't do it just wait that six seconds and and so far every time i've tried it like somebody will come in and, and start speaking and then you're good then there's the landslide and everyone else jumps in too <laughs> you know what you're absolutely right as an instructor you do feel like you want to jump in to help or just to move forward or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. perfect thing. Like you said, you wait. <laughs> yeah, and for those yeah, who are like just said, listening, he just reached for his mug. Yeah. To take a drink of, of something, something yummy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, so have, have your water bottle right there for right, those right moments. Where it's just like, <laughs> yep. Yep. Something to do um, while they're waiting. And, you know, I suppose there are the times when, Maybe the question wasn't clear, so you could rephrase it in a different way if that was the case. Or I try to always make sure, too, that I give an example. So for if you ask a question and you ask them to do it, at least to give one example on your end so that they can start thinking about it. Like yesterday, for example, I did a training session and we were talking about lockdown lessons. So what were, what were some of your lessons from the, from the pandemic? So before I had them go into breakouts to talk about that, I just shared what's one thing that I learned. And that was sort of this instead of when things go wrong instead of fighting it like why did that have to happen or why can't it just almost there's more of an inner acceptance at first okay I guess I can't do it that way like that's something I think the pandemic has taught me because we couldn't change the circumstances of the pandemic we had to be quarantined we had to um, wear masks we had to do things to help the common good and help all of us stay healthy as a community and so you just even though it was adverse and um, certainly challenging you had to live with it, right? And so that's that's one thing I noticed in me. But the point is that when you ask a question, ideally an open-ended question, you give an example before you expect your learners to respond. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a good point to make there. So you do more than just train the trainer. You actually work with businesses or individuals or whatever, whoever it might be, and you also convey a message, right, on behalf of the company if they're, like you were saying, like a safety training. So you provide that service as well, correct? Yeah, I can I can work with uh, different organizations on different kind, kinds of topics. If they want to uh, deliver a certain training topic, uh, like we mentioned leadership development, for example, mm -hmm. or, or helping others train effectively using virtual training technology platforms as well. So, and a lot of, uh, you know, the training that we deliver is usually that blended learning, right? Where we have sort of the pre-work or the things they do uh, asynchronously on their own time, coupled with, you know, the live training where you are, like we're, we're doing here today where we're, we're live together. You know, it's interesting where uh, so many people look at this as a brand new technology and it really isn't because you can even think back to 30 years ago, college, university, you, you're, you're in your 
university auditorium with 700 students and there is a camera back there recording yeah. it and yeah. the professor at the end may say it's on the closed circuit if you didn't get it go watch it this is the assignment go do the assignment so a lot of people were have already done something like the blended mm -hmm. um, learning but i guess we forgot but it has progressed so much more that this is so much more engaging and, and immersive it's so much better yeah. And distance education, as you mentioned, Chuck, has certainly been a leader in all of this. And, you know, you talk about the virtual learner in the back watching on a camera and then, you know, the in-room students. And so now we see that as hybrid learning, which I call live mixed learning, but we can do it so much better now. It's not just the virtual folks, like they're a fly on a wall watching what's happening in front of them being taped. It's really the challenge now is to involve those online learners as much as the on-site learners and ideally even having them interact together, which can be done. But again, it takes great design and it takes a lot of strategy to make that work well. Uh, but I have seen that work well. And um, so there, there are certain tricks to kind of build that community uh, between having the folks that are uh, joining online and definitely having more than one because there's a community that happens when there's several virtual attendees and then really building those on-site uh, learners to interact you know back and forth so so that's kind of where I think our, our world is focusing right now and you've certainly talked a lot about design and strategy so that is very important you can't it's not a situation where you could just jump in and wing it if you want to be effective. Absolutely I mean, not. The, yeah. The, and the, and not even for virtual training. You know, I had a yeah. I had a student of mine who once said, "Oh, I see that this virtual training is not kind of is not something that I can just wing." Like that was those were her words that she she came to that realization too. It's all about preparation yeah. and and yep. strategy. I think a lot of it is strategy too. Yeah, if you want to be effective, you got to have a strategy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have to be able to get that message across. Yeah. Uh, so, so majority of the people will will be able to soak it in and understand. Yeah. Uh, so, something else. You are an author as well, right? Yeah. Yes, I have an upcoming book. Mm hmm. So tell us about that book. All right. Well, uh, yes. So the book is called. A next level virtual training, advance your facilitation. And so, you know, the idea was in the pandemic, everyone really got exposed to virtual training. Some of us have been doing it for a really long time, but this book was meant to really challenge us, raise the bar and say, you know, you've been getting by, but we can do even so much better than this and really uh, have better learning outcomes, have this, as I talked about today, this uh, enjoyable experience because that's motivating. Emotion is important too because it's motivational for learners and for students. And so the book talks about it identifies actually eight competency areas or capability areas of expertise. And then it also um, includes 101 tips for virtual training. So not just 100, but 101. So uh, hopefully a lot of nuggets in there for people to really be able to raise the bar on their, their own profession. I bet there definitely is. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that they can purchase that on your website. Uh, but is it going to be available 
on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all these other uh, outlets. Yeah. So the book Next Level Virtual Training, it is currently available on, on Amazon. So it is already available. Uh, it is available for pre-ordering. And then in May, it'll be available for, for ordering. And then our website as well will direct you to, to Amazon. So um, that's the best place to get it on Amazon. Great. I'll make sure I have a link to that in the description <laughs> as well. Thank you. Uh, so they'll be able to get a paperback or PDF or something and Yes, they can get a paperback. Yes, absolutely. Great, great, great. Uh, I think, gosh, you've given us so much information, but you've also stressed really the important parts of virtual training. And I, I, before we close, I want to know as far as a virtual learner, what does the learner need to do or to know or to be prepared uh, to be able to engage and immerse themselves into a virtual situation, into a virtual classroom. Do you mm -hmm. have any, uh, any pointers or tips on the viewer, the, the listener? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's so much that the facilitator can do to help the learner be prepared. I like to do welcome videos. Uh, be, and that's, again, that's an asynchronous thing before they actually come to the training because they're learning the sense of their instructor, a sense of their personality, a sense of their person. So ideally, if instructor or facilitator does that well, learner will be motivated. They will feel sort of this personable connection to hopefully their instructor who's enthusiastic about the topic, which then is contagious to the learner. Uh, all of that is important for motivation. And I think... Um, actually obviously being active. So when they can put away their distractions, which I have our facilitators make sure we say, and I, I actually did this yesterday in a training class. I said, I want you to turn off your phones or put them on vibrate, close every application on your desktop that you don't need for this training. And I'll be quiet for a few moments now while you do that. And we were just silent and I let them turn off their distractions. So learner is in their own space, right? When we had them all together in an in-person room, you could control some of that. Somebody, some people would be checking their phones underneath the table, but you, you could see that they were, they were doing that, but we can't really control their space. So they are in charge of their space. So I would really uh, make sure they, that we challenge them to re remove those distractions so that you can be present and actively involved for the next 90 minutes or however long it is. That's very good. I, I didn't I didn't even think of that is giving them the opportunity, giving them a minute, just making that announcement. I mean, we hear it and we see it at movie theaters and all they say, yeah. don't text, don't do this, don't do that. And it's a precursor to previews. And then hopefully everybody listen and they put their phones on silent or something. Yeah. Uh, I want to add in one thing on that, too, for for the for the viewers to prepare themselves uh, is make sure that you have your camera pointed in the right direction and make sure if it's yeah. too wide or not wide enough. I, I echo that completely. And I call that camera awareness that you just have this sense of, you know, everything in your frame calls attention to itself because it's framed. And so it's all of it is important. So you're right, having that clutter removed is important and make sure that you're framed the way that you want to be framed, which should be center. And then with just a little bit of headroom above you 
and uh, yeah, and make sure that you're showing on camera what you want. I heard the other day about an interview where the person was good for the interview, like had their laptop framed with themselves. But then when they said goodbye or something, the person closed the laptop lid like halfway. And all of a sudden the interview panel was left looking at this person's stomach. Like that's all they could see. And they didn't realize it was still on camera. And they're like, oh, <laughs> this is awkward. So yeah, it's just this new camera awareness of knowing what's being projected and actually you know, thinking ahead about that and making sure it's what you want to project. Perfect thing to close on camera awareness. <laughs> That's right. There you go. This has been great. And yep. If folks know how to find us uh, at hallsassociates.com and our book next level virtual training is on Amazon. So thank you so much for having me, Chuck. I've enjoyed our conversation tremendously. It's been great. I have enjoyed this very much as well. So thank you, Diana. Hey, hey, listeners, thanks for listening to this podcast. Now, if you did not have a chance to listen to part one of episode 73 with Diana Howells, I recommend that you go back and you listen to part one. Aside from that, I want to say thank you very much once again for all of you who listen, who support, who share, and who comment on all of the podcasts on Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Without you... This channel could not grow. So truly, from the bottom of my heart or someplace deep in the center, a huge thank you. So until next time, enjoy what you're doing and come back again. Bye-bye.